Lalita. Lonely Mr. Coley from Los Angeles came to Punjab on one bent knee. He had a green card, new house, big cash. So made a wish with every fallen lash. For you to do the journey with him. To smile when he got home, ask how his day had been. He walked you by his side in joy and strife. Poor Mr. Coley, he has no life without wife. It's the First Impressions Podcast, where we talk about our love for Jane Austen and all the adaptations of her work, and give a big middle finger to all those haters. I am Kristen, and I am joined by Maggie. Hi, everyone. On today's episode, we are talking about the delightful 2004 Pride and Prejudice adaptation called Bride and Prejudice, which takes our favorite Jane Austen characters and transports them across the world to India for some, I think, very successful social commentary. Maybe not the most successful straight adaptation, but we're also talking about a Bollywood musical here, which is always fun, especially in these dark times. Yes. So, uh, <laughs> so, Kristen, overall impressions, what did you think? This movie is so light and bright and sparkling as the um, the book upon which it draws. And, you know, I absolutely loved it. I we, this is this is sort of a second attempt because Maggie and I were going to do this podcast a couple months ago, then life intervened. So I watched it three times back then. And then when Kevin realized, oh, you're going to do it again. I think he was secretly a little excited to watch Bride and Prejudice again with me so that, you know, it could be fresh in my mind. And I saw him normally when I put on like something, it's not his choice, you know, um, or he's not interested in it for whatever reason. Even if he is interested in it sometimes, he's on his phone, right? He's not watching. And so this time it was on and he was on the couch and he was like all pretending to be asleep. And then he was on his phone. And then I then no life without wife. The musical number <laughs> came on, and I could see him watching it out of the corner of his eye. He just he was, like, so into it. He loves that number. And so, anyway, it's so fun. It's effervescent. It is it's really clever, the way it introduces to the audience and to what Bollywood is sort of about and what it is. Making it very accessible, let's say yeah. that. To, and well, it's, to, in, it's in English. Um, only the one of the songs is not in English and there are subtitles. So if you, if this is your first, if this is your entry into Bollywood, I think it's a really great one. I watched it again today, which is, it was such a like gross, really rainy morning. And this was the perfect movie to watch because it's so bright and colorful and the songs are fun. And so Bay was uh, watching it in the room with me too. And he freaked out because he's a huge, well, was a huge Lost fan. Uh-huh. And he was like, that's Saeed. 
Bingley is Saeed. And then he, she's like, just wait until you see him. He's about to transform into the Indian MC Hammer. And then he was like, he's dancing. He's <laughs> fucking shredding the dance floor. To me, that is the most important uh, scene and moment in this movie because you're coming in and you're getting in. You're like, okay, I think I kind of understand what's going on. And then it's your intro to, oh shit, this really is Bollywood. Like Naveen yeah. Andrews, that uh, that actor, um, you just cut to him and he is just shredding. I mean, he his <laughs> choreography is on point. And actually, I looked up an interview with him um, that was, you know, done in the lead up to this movie. Someone was interviewing him about this movie and he's British, right? You know, and so he was talking about how different it was. And, and then they said, well, how was, how was it to do the dancing? He was like, it, I have never done anything in like, like that in my life really when he they, was great they, he said when they told me what they wanted and what they wanted me to do I said no it's not possible I will never be able to do that kind of dancing and then he was in the studio with like a a trainer and a choreographer um for like weeks and he was like on the third week I I finally started to get it and they finally said okay this might actually work um, he said a lot of other fascinating stuff, too, about what it's like to bring in Bollywood conventions. He said, you know, in the in the British School of Acting or the Western School of Acting, you you learn to react to each other. And in the Bollywood tradition, you are more playing to the camera. And yeah. so there was um, a lot of stuff that was directly at the camera, I noticed, that was really fun and cute. And I thought it worked. I thought it worked great. Yeah, and I agree. Um, I actually, I was telling Bay, I'm just like, they, as much as, I mean, I like Martin, let me just say, so the guy who plays Darcy is an actor named Martin Henderson. The only other thing I really know him from is The Ring. He was like the the male, main male character in the um, J-horror adaptation, uh, the American adaptation of the J-horror film, The Ring, which probably came out about the same time as this did, honestly. He had a really good couple of years. Uh, but the guy who plays uh, Naveen Andrews is so, like, handsome, and I love him so much. I kind of wish that he had the bigger role here. Honestly, I, I would have loved him. to have seen him as the main love interest. I just I didn't get enough to uh, that too. screen time. And I then there's a scene him. where the two of them are chatting on the hotel balcony, and, like, Naveen Andrews' shirt is open, his <laughs> hair is all... It's a little soul glow for me, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's a little, like, shiny, but uh, he looks good with long hair. I'm just... I was really feeling Naveen Andrews in this movie. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, Martin Henderson did have, like... A couple of good years where he was in like big name pictures and it was the ring was 2002 and then he was in torque in 2004 oh which... yeah the big movie torque Kristen, <laughs> come on no it's that <laughs> it's a it's a thing because so kevin's a huge fan of like the comedy bang bang show and like podcast and so adam scott was also in torque and they constantly uh... make fun of him for it because <laughs> apparently it wasn't a very good movie so anyway but no but Here's the thing about Martin Henderson. Like people are very divided on him in this movie, and I have to admit, taking a long time to warm up to him, and I'm still not totally sure I'm there, because, and I'll tell you, his he's from New Zealand, and the problem with him I didn't know that he's from New Zealand. He has a New Zealand accent. The problem with him in this movie is that his American accent is not quite there. It is not quite right. And so when I first saw this movie way back in the day, I saw it in the theater when it came out. 
I um I I didn't pay attention to the opening credits, right? I didn't realize it was Miramax production, um, in a court, you know, in uh, partnership with a Indian um co- production company, and I just thought it was a Bollywood movie, right? I I had no context for what was going on. I thought, oh, this was like the white actor that they could you know get in this movie for a reasonable budget because I didn't recognize him as like a star, and I'm like, they must have had to get like a non-American guy, it's because. That was my immediate impression of him and his accent. Is like, this guy is not actually American. I mean, and the perfect example is when they are in the taxi at the very beginning and they stop because of a cow in the road. And Martin Henderson goes, Jesus, Balraj, where the hell have you brought me? Okay, and- so I'm just going to say I did not know he was not American and I did not pick up anything with okay. his accent at all. I but, think you're being a little harsh. You no, know, he has such an exaggerated, like Texan twang in that mm-hmm. particular. Where the hell have you brought? I mean, it was. I mean, not. A, he's not doing a Texan twang, yeah. but it sounded like he was mimicking what an American might sound like. Like, and you know, like also, this character is supposed to be from New York, so it, he immediately had oh, read. Oh, no, uh, technically, he's actually from LA. He lives in LA. No, I remember meant, when they go out to LA, like that's where his mother is, that's where his sister is. They no, but that's just for the wedding, right? He says you numerous sure? yes, okay. Sometimes he's from New York. And this is the thing, like if you're from New York, any any New Yorker would say, Hey, I'm walking here. No. <laughs> I don't think hey, that like the super no. rich people in New York say that. I mean, but uh I actually, I thought the actor aside, um, I thought that what they did with um, Mr. Darcy and this was actually really interesting because he is like literally a fish out of water. Yes, like they're in the country in the book, but I mean, everyone really in, in this, he is in an entirely different culture. So his like feeling uncomfortable, his being awkward, it may, it makes a lot more sense as a, like a Western viewer. Um, and like when he slights her about dancing, his pants are falling down. Yes. Like he can't, they're actually around his knees. He can't <laughs> dance with anyone right now because he's trying not to let anybody see that his, um, like in special, uh, like beautiful linen pants, the tie has come undone and they're falling down. And that was clever. It really, yeah, yeah it was really clever. And you do empathize with him. And so you, you understand why she's put off, but you also understand where he's coming from. But I, I would say also that he's immediately unlikable because he is the caricature of a gauche American. Like who would get off a plane in Amritsar and be like mad and they like put off by the cows and you know Kristen like 75 no, percent of americans especially I not, reason, it's, no, listen it's, can you know how long that flight was one of the reasons why i really like this movie is because it's very challenging as an, a white american to watch because she always makes good points and obviously like you're on lizzie's side she's your heroine but i also really understand where he's coming from and it challenges me and my views where he's like oh god i don't know like there's no air conditioning here the the electricity keeps going out there's no wi-fi at the hotel like i don't know how everyone does this and she's like that's the best hotel in town you're being an asshole and it's like you want to go to india but you want to go to like a huge resort you don't want to see real india you don't want to see real indians and so to me i'm like i have those tendencies 
I want to stay in a nice place when I travel. Is that an authentic experience? No. What is that saying about me? And so one of the reasons why I also really enjoy watching this is because it's it challenges the way that I think and the the prejudices that I have. That's all fine. And I 100% agree with you. But there is some other stuff they threw in there that is crossed over the line. And that does not read true to the supposedly cosmopolitan New York character who has all of these hotels all over the world. Because he immediately he's at this nice wedding, right? And they offer him food. And he's like, I don't want to get deli belly on my first day. And it's like, excuse the fuck out of you. Like, okay, except like, <laughs> I want to give a shout out to um Another uh, Indira Varma, who plays the uh, Bingley, uh, Miss, Miss Bingley character, the sister, who everyone will probably recognize from Game of Thrones and or Rome, the HBO series. She was in both of those. And she says she looks at him at one point and she is, a, you know, in the movie, she is Indian. She is from England. But she goes, the only thing India is good for is losing weight. And I was yeah. like, damn. <laughs> Damn, like she's just as snotty as he is about certain things, which I thought was interesting. It wasn't just like the white guy. They were feeding off each other. Yeah, Paul Rich, it does say like, don't be such a coconut, right? Like, but but this is also the point of the film is about the Indian diaspora, diaspora, Mm -hmm. I guess you say it. And the 10, the, 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 I guess kind of risk of getting farther away from those roots and yeah, but uh, let's go back to the, the thing with Goa. So what they do, not to jump too far ahead, but like uh, in, in the film, they go with Darcy to see if they want to acquire this resort hotel in Goa. And here's what I thought was so meaningful about the relationship between Darcy and Lizzie in this movie, Lolita, Darcy and Lolita in this movie, is that um, it's exactly as you said, that she calls him out on, you think this is India, this is not India. Um, staying in a resort hotel that he's considering buying in Goa. There's an, yeah, and there's an important scene where they get there. And I missed it, like, the first two times I watched this movie. They get to the hotel, and they're immediately greeted with garlands, and they put something on their forehead, and it's clearly, like, a, a cultural greeting. But then they're just... They're at the resort with Ashanti, who's playing American-style music. They're just swimming, and they're they're just living in the lap of luxury. And so that's when Wickham comes on the scene. That's Johnny Wickham? Yes. <laughs> Johnny Wickham comes on the scene right at that time. And he's like, this isn't the real India. He's on her wavelength. He's like, yeah, you know, you, if you have money, you don't see the real India. It's it's almost a performative kind of oh, thing to slot in with her views. I feel yeah. like... It, in, at least in the, unlike the book, as soon as you meet Wickham in this one, you're like, this guy's shady as hell. <laughs> like he just has, he's just that eye rolly, crunchy backpacker. Ugh, do you know what I mean? Like he comes out of the water and you're like, oh, this guy. <laughs> and this is another actor. Um, I recognized his name. I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Daniel Gillies or Gillies. But I know him from the CW series Vampire Diaries in the Originals because he plays Elijah, one of the original vampires. And I, when I rewatched, I mean, obviously in 2004, I didn't know who this guy was. But when I rewatched it recently, I was just like, oh, my God, I'd never seen this guy in anything else. This movie is so random. <laughs> <laughs> you, 
But you definitely um, bond with with him and with her viewpoint, or at least I did. Like, I don't even, yeah. I get very stressed out by travel, but imagine getting up the plane and you're seeing all these new things and as these markets and it's so cool. I can't imagine anybody not being like, this is going to make a great story. I'm going to absorb it all and I'm going to learn and I'm going to, and everything's so bright and colorful. Wow. And I understand being, being overwhelmed, but you have to admit they, they do give him some lines that do cross, cross into gauche American. Oh, well, they have to, I mean, there has to be conflict. There has to be this it's, kind it's of, a, it's based on uh, Pride and Prejudice. There has right. to be, it has to be snobby. But she also has a chip on her shoulder as soon as she meets him. She twists a lot of his words. Yeah. He's trying. (laughs) Yeah. He tries. He goes to her and he tries and he says, oh, the guy getting married in the beginning. Oh, he wanted something simple. He asked his parents to arrange his marriage. He wanted something simple and traditional. And, And like, to me, it is simple to just have someone tell you who you're going to marry and that is the traditional way they've done it. It's not a slight on that woman's like intelligence or uh, autonomy or anything like that. And Lolita immediately takes it as a personal like slight on herself. Like like he thinks she must be the the kind of wife that Coley Saab wants. Like the yeah. the deferential traditional wife. And he even says later in Goa, he's like, you're twisting my words. They explicitly, this character too, uh, unfortunately, like, it's not that he's written badly. He has lines that are totally fine and meaningful and do convey what's going on. It's just that the actor, Martin Henderson, has almost been cast like a Ken doll. He's like so handsome that it's, but he, in a, in a way that's yeah, sort of like a blank of a slate. suck. He's yeah, kind of like and an energy so his, suck. Yeah, I think that's his fair. delivery doesn't have the courage of any convictions at all, and so you're left disliking him for a long time. I, I, another difference is, I mean, again, I think we've talked about this with some other, uh, maybe with the 1940s Pride and Prejudice. Like he kind of makes his interest in her known right away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, He's mm-hmm. definitely flirting. He definitely likes her. You can tell. I don't know if she can tell. She has a dream where she's marrying him right yeah. after she meets Wicca. And so clearly she's picking up on some of it. Um, for me, if we could switch gears, if you don't mind a little bit. Sure, um, I think this fails as an adaptation based on structure, which is fine because I actually don't think they wanted it to be an adaptation. I, I think know. it's inspired by is a better way to think about it. Can um, I just quickly interject? You're sure. right. And there's a, uh, um, I'm just trying to support your point here, not to change the subject. There is actually a interview with Gurindar. I believe I'm saying her name right. Shout out. There's an interview with her where she's like, we wanted to do this sort of Hollywood, Bollywood mashup. And Pride and Prejudice is a familiar story. So everyone can sit back and not get lost and understand generally where the story is going and not get confused by the story as well as the new elements of filmmaking and storytelling that we're introducing. So I think you're right that the primary thrust was not to tell a new Pride and tell tell the Pride and Prejudice story. It was to use it as a template. Yeah. And of course, this is something that I've talked about with adaptations before. For me, you can... I know whether it's working or not structurally, depending on when the Lizzie character finds out certain information and when a proposal comes. And in this movie, it's an hour and a half into yep. it. Yep. And that's t- and there's t- only 20 minutes left in the movie. So clearly, like, we're doing more of your typical, I think, rom-com type of structure than you would 
an adaptation of Pride and Prejudice. Although I think you could argue that Pride and Prejudice might be the original rom-com. I don't know. (laughs) Someone's written a thesis or like some kind of paper on that before. But my point is, you know, like the, that's almost, that's like starts the climax is when she finds out that he had broken up uh, her sister and um, his best friend, their wedding. And she finds out um, that he might have a girlfriend that his, you know, his mother introduces her, this girl, Anne is his girlfriend. And so she feels betrayed because they've been dating, like actually just dating, You're which is on- fun too. Like, I don't know, everything that they change I'm fine with because, you know, it's, it's a different type of movie. Well, you're absolutely right. And what struck me even the first time was how how big and how long the um, musical numbers are at the beginning and there's one that doesn't even advance the pride and prejudice story it just takes you through the streets of amritsar and talks about the wedding that's happening and so you get to talk about you know ras malai and the garlands and and henna painting and you know like an indian wedding and it's not even advancing the pride and prejudice story but it's fantastic because it's introducing you to the bollywood's kind of settings right and um even even the the absolute bop no life without wife right has the has like five verses i mean it really yeah. they spend the time they need to do the musical numbers right but then in the last third of the movie they have a lot of plot to get through and that's yeah. where it sort of loses steam and gets very confusing and they're going the, they're going from india to the uk to the us back to the uk and you get very confused about where they are and then there are these like, oh, the London Eye, they're in London. Now I get it, you know. Um, and so it doesn't necessarily work that way. But you've had such a good time up to that point, I guess yeah. I would say. Um, so I I like the musical numbers. My issue with the musical numbers is that I don't think the songs themselves are that good. Oh, I love them. Um I mean, no life without wife. It's a, we were talking about this earlier, like it's a total earworm, but like <laughs> to me, it's it's not that good a song, but I like the musical numbers because of what they tell you about characters or about the world we're in. So while the songs themselves, I'm like, well, this sounds like something that like I could have written in like 20 minutes or like someone recorded on their like synth keyboard or whatever. But like that's, you know, they're telling you important information about who these people are and where they are. You know, you were saying you have this long number in the town about the marriage. This it's putting the importance of getting married in this culture. Like we understand that it is a huge deal. This entire town is involved when one person gets married. It's what people live for, right? Is to see your children married. Um, So it's, it's conveying important information to the audience, even if I'm just kind of like, okay. And financially for the whole town and for that family too. Right. Right. And they do give Mrs. Um, Bakshi, the, the lines about like, oh, new, you know, old farm, new bills. And there is still that financial motive, too. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you a question. Because uh, we we talked about Martin Henderson as, um, as Darcy, but we haven't talked about Ashiware. Uh, her last name now is Bakchin, which I don't think it was when she made this. I don't think she was married yet. No. Um, how do you think of her Lolita? I will start. Um, I th- <laughs> I love her. I think that she's great. I mean, she's one of the biggest stars in the world. My only issue is she is also one of the most stunningly beautiful women in the world. So how do you make it believable that she is not 
like internationally famous, I guess is kind of what I'm going for. She's so stunning. Like she was Miss Universe. Do you want to know a thing I learned by reading a review of this movie, Roger Ebert's review of this movie in 2005? Uh, Ashwarya Rai, I'm t- there is also a pronunciation guide, so I've pulled it up to see if I can learn. Um, Let's just do a blanket apology. <laughs> Ashwarya. We, are, we don't mean to be disrespectful. We are try- like we're trying. Uh, we're coming at this from like you know a Western <laughs> lens, and we like we don't want to be rude or anything like that. And it's we're trying Ash- to. It's Ashwarya. 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 Is it Ray or Rai? Well, I don't know. It doesn't say if it's Ray okay. or Rai, but it says it's Ashwarya. She gained twenty pounds for this. Yeah. Role. Yeah. I, and I it's read like that you're looking well. at her, and you're like, "What? I don't. I can't process this." But well, I'm I mean, sure that she was a huge Bollywood star already, and I'm sure they have the same pressures or even more than like Hollywood actresses would about their appearance. But I specifically remember I read an interview with her where she said, I wanted this character to look, I mean, from one of the most beautiful women in the world, I wanted her to look more like a real person would. Yes. And so even after that, she's still like the most beautiful person you've ever seen. In fact, the Roger Ebert review spends like paragraph after paragraph on how beautiful she is. He drools yeah, over he was her. A little, it's a little bit uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> but I also have to, this is a total right turn. Now that we're talking about the Ebert review, they he makes a joke about how, you know, she doesn't, you know, Mr. Coley is not this great of a marriageable prospect. And he says, well, Harvey Weinstein was also in India at the time, so it wasn't the worst choice or something like that. Oh, and yeah. Like, oh, not my God. Back. You're like, wait That's... a second. Everybody knew Weinstein was an asshole way back in 2005. Oh, yeah, no, everybody knew. And here's the thing. I remember I was watching this movie. I want to get back to her performance because I thought she was great. But um, in this director, she also did Bend It Like Beckham, which is one of my favorite movies. And she directed, I can't remember, what's the, Blinded by the Light? Is that what? Yeah. No, there's a new movie she did about um, Bruce Springsteen yeah. um, and a UK teenager, which I haven't seen yet, but they watched it on a plane and he cried like a baby. So that's promising. Um, anyway, I love her. But at the end, they always do like the cast joking around with song. There's like these behind the scenes. And in one of them, they're with Harvey Weinstein. Yes, and Kevin and I were not, I didn't, I, we were just sitting there and I was like, is that? And he's yeah, like, oh my God. Harvey Weinstein produced this movie. He was on set. Oh. And I was, it just blew my mind because he's such rightfully a villain now and a horrible person. And you forget he was hugely powerful in Hollywood. So of course you would have a picture of yourself with Harvey Weinstein, right? <laughs> well, hopefully well, nobody's shit he is. I, I mean, I haven't heard that Shwari was like hurt by him in any way. So I'm, I'm hoping that's not the case. But anyway, let's get back to her Honestly, performance. She's probably, at, she's probably powerful enough and uh, already and, enough that yes. she would just like cut his, you know, off. anyway. Yeah. yeah. I loved her as Lolita. She's fun. She's spunky. She's smart. She stands up for herself. I mean, she's everything you want your Lizzie to be. You know, her dancing was so effervescent and yeah. she was such a joy to watch. And it was so much fun that you feel like you're having that kind of Bollywood fun. Like you feel like it's an entrance into this kind of, of filmmaking because she's so engaging and you just want to see her dance and sing more like the first number which is the one that's not in English the dancing has to tell you a lot because there are subtitles but you know not everybody is great at you know subtitles so 
the dancing is, is almost a storytelling dance. At one point, they're singing about, hey, how are you? Hey, good looking. How are you? Do you want to dance? And then they all stomp on the guy's feet as part of the choreography. And the guys have to jump up and down and hopping and holding their feet. <laughs> and then she puts her hand on his back and she's like, you know, doing the little um, waving her hand around. It's, oh my God, the dancing is so cute. I mean, she's just, you can't take your eyes off her. And of Not course, because like, she's beautiful because she's talented. The most like gifable moment from this movie where she like throws up her hand and yes. like stop and sassily <laughs> shakes her head and the camera pulls back. It's so good. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's one of my favorite moments. She's just like, Bam! It's so good. We have to talk. Is it okay if we move to another character? Sure. We have to talk about Coley Saab, the Mr. Collins character of this movie. He very smart decisions with him, I thought. Deals the entire show. He is absolutely hysterical. He's so good. But like you were saying, good decisions are made. He he is also sympathetic and and kind of kind of cute. You know, like kind of um. Yo, go ahead and say what you were gonna say. I was just going to do an impression of his laugh. <laughs> do I was going to go. Hoo, 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 hoo. <laughs> it just made me cough. <laughs> yeah, he has this like horrible laugh. It's oh, he's very embarrassing, but he's also it's because he's trying so hard, yeah. you know, but we all and again, like we all know people like that. Yes, he's, he yeah. and, but and it's the bragging about money, which is which is yeah. the connection to the Mr. Collins character is bragging about money and status and his eight hundred his nine hundred thousand dollar home in the valley that really, you know, it puts you off as as it should. But at the same time, it is this earnest like, look at all I have to offer you. He really thinks she's going to be excited. And they did a cute thing where he he marries Chandra, of course, the Char- Charlotte Lucas character and. You know, they go back when they wind up later in Los Angeles for for the big wedding. Chandra, the Charlotte Lucas character, character gets to talk about. I wasn't ready to wait for my prince. And he's nice. And they show him being nice to her. And so it's yeah. a much better outcome for her than the original Pride and Prejudice, where he, she just has to live with this stuck up loser who loves to hear himself talk. Yeah. And she, she does like she dork. has a beautiful like, home. She gets to live in Southern California. Although I do love that when they visit them, they're clearly like it's new construction. It's just dirt. There's not even yes. grass. Yes, like, I love that them. detail. Yeah. Yeah, it was, that was really, but like, she has this beautiful home that she gets to be in charge of. I I mean, I don't want to make any assumptions about like how much freedom or what like that she had back at home. But I mean, she was like, I love living here. Yeah. And when she's like, saying like, I know you, you didn't think I'd be happy here, but I like him. He's nice to me. And I love living here. There's more for me. There was more of a like, well, you go girl. Like you make your, you make the decisions you want to make. This is very interesting because it brings in the sort of diaspora element of it. Do you notice in Lizzie's dream after she meets Wickham, she dreams about herself, as it says in the song, being an overseas bride dressed in yes. white. And what was comes- hysterical about that? She's like running into this little English village, but the people walking around are wearing like traditional like German. <laughs> so she, like, I love that Lolita doesn't really distinguished European countries. They're just kind of like all one thing in her head. And I thought that was, she's dreaming about Johnny Wickham, right? And it's supposed to be this little English town, but there's like weird continental Europe stuff. I don't know. I thought that was a really fun detail where she's just like, well, it's Europe. But that scene introduced so many questions for me culturally about what it meant if you lived in India to get married to someone in the UK. And the, the general consensus with the first marriage is that it 
you're you're like moving on on up in a sense. Yeah. But I was at the same time now having just learned so much about the culture in Amritsar and the and the garba for God's sake. I mean, I had no idea what one was, and now you know I had to go look it up and like look watching videos of it. It was just fan. You know, it was just fascinating um, just because it was, you know, different with the sticks and the choreography and everything. That was now I'm getting off on a tangent. What I wanted to say is when you get pulled into that world, you're immediately like, wait, why would anyone want to get married out of this? You know, why would I want to lose these incredibly fun uh, roots where I'm connected with my family and connect with the community and get pulled out into L.A.? Because here's the thing. Here's here's a really important thing. When she goes to L.A. and Darcy starts to romance her and she's on his turf like at Pemberley and we see his side of the story, they do another musical number to, you know, to show his culture. But what do they do? They, they, can't, do, they can't do much, right? They show them, first of all, in a Mexican restaurant and secondly, with a gospel choir, which are not white American cultural things because like in white American monoculture, we just don't have the fun things that are going on yeah. in Bollywood. It was really hard. They couldn't, they couldn't quite, you know, and I'm like, why would you, you know, I, you know, I saw the movie um, Monsoon Wedding when I was really young. If you've ever seen that one where it's just about yeah. a, an Indian wedding and you're drawn so far into the incredible fun tradition and it's 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 awesome everything that's going on you're so connected to the community I definitely felt that so hard walking out of that theater thinking I just move around in America every two years I'm always far away from my family what do we do culturally we get together on the fourth of July and there's a flag cake right like what do we have you know where do we go so wrong as a culture well I think the director her point is what you were saying that it's you know, I roll or not with the gospel choir. It's like the only black people in the whole movie. But it's like that there there is no monoculture. He was just I mean, they also go to like these museums and they're just trying to show like how different American life is, I think, to compare. And she was like, I didn't think you'd bring me here um, to this like <laughs> Mexican restaurant. Um, it's fair. But. I mean, had that character ever been in a place like that before? Probably not. I mean, she she drank a margarita and was like, whoa, like clearly she never had a margarita before. So I think it was just, it's, they were just trying to, in my opinion, draw a very clear distinction between where we were. I mean, in Southern California, like you would go to a Mexican restaurant. It's really yeah. good. Um, I don't know about the gospel choir. It's like, okay, fine. I see where you're going. But I don't know. That part was a little eye rolly for me too. Um, I think they were like, we have to use the American musical tradition, but they're like, well, all 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 white Americans have is like, you know, oh, well, all white Americans have our musical traditions that we have appropriated, right. us, including <laughs> Black Americans. So, I mean, on that point, it doesn't make sense. Maybe they should have done jazz instead. <laughs> also appropriation, right? So, uh, yeah. but. Anyway, I'm not uh, people who are rolling their eyes right now, thinking like Kristen, why you're trying to be so woke. I mean, that's not exactly what I'm saying, but I I am saying it's hard to get into the Bollywood and then think of transplanting Lolita away from that and away from her, you know, family. But she does say in that song, "I want to see the world. I want a man to see the world with." I mean, he takes her to the Grand Canyon. One of the points that's critical of this film is like you don't understand why she's falling in love with Darcy. And what the most important moment is, is after they go to L.A. and they meet uh, the Catherine de Bourgh character, right, Dar- Darcy's mother. 
His horrible He mother. has, at this point, decided not to buy that hotel in Goa that she accused him of just wanting the disney version of India in this, ho- this sandal-style resort, right? He says, uh, I didn't want to buy that hotel, and Lolita helped me make the decision. And she realizes that he no longer wants to consume India in that way. Yeah. Um, and then the mother responds. Well, with yoga and spices and all the Eastern things over here, there's really no reason to go to India anymore. And I was like, bitch. And then (laughs) Lita gets to be outspoken and gets to say people don't didn't stop going to Italy because of Pizza Hut. I mean, and it's a great line. And she gets to be that Lizzie Bennett character. And and he laughs when she says it. So, you know, he appreciates this like independent, outspoken woman who plays the guitar so beautifully, by the way. Right. Well, I, I would think the part, to just to just to circle back to kind of like say the like why would he take her to this weird Mexican restaurant? Part of it is you know like he was the fish out of water. She challenged him about his reaction to a foreign culture, and so I think part of it was him being like, okay, let's throw you it, you know, kind of like let's go someplace you would never have gone, try something you would never have tried, and so this is again kind of a like relating to Pride and Prejudice, how both of them have to change. Like Lolita had never been out of India. So now we're putting her, she's learning, she's growing, she's experiencing new things too. I mean, her response is obviously better than his was at the beginning. Um, But she seemed to have a great time. And it's just kind of like, we have to expand her horizons as well, right? I'm still rolling my eyes, though, because a Mexican restaurant is not Mexican culture. Okay, right? but listen, the Mexican that restaurant in LA, really there was a mariachi band. They were wearing sombreros. Oh, no, I mean, it, was it was purposefully the- cheesy. Like, it was very purposefully, like, not, I'm making air quotes, like, not real right. Mexican <laughs> restaurant. But again, I think that was, he was trying to be like, hey, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fun guy. Like, <laughs> I'm a fun people. guy. I go to Chi-Chi's, but also, like, I'm going to take you somewhere that is, like, completely outside your experience. So I think that it, but I think it was mostly him just trying to be like, I'm a regular Joe. Just a regular Joe. (laughs) Yeah, that's going to take you in my helicopter to see the Grand Canyon. Yeah, right. That is pretty. So then she just gets swept off her feet, basically. I mean, who would How much did you roll your eyes, though, when... Alexis Liddell or whatever Rory well, from Gilmore. I, I hate Rory Gilmore. So <laughs> passion. I really, really okay. Before I get like angry emails, I really love Gilmore Girls and I love Lorelai, but I've always hated Rory. I think she's a self entitled snob. Yeah, well, this, she just this, thinks that she if she fails at one thing, the world's over. Yeah. Um. Anyway, so Alexis Liddell, I'm like, man, it's 2004. Yeah, right. She was so she was so hot right now, so hot right now. But that this is the but thing. Traveling France was just about to come out. No, and no, no. this is the connect. <laughs> and this is kind of the connection, right? And Gilmore Girls for the first couple of seasons, I was totally on Rory's side. Then she goes to Yale, and they show her in these lectures, right, learning about social justice issues. And then she steals a yacht, and she wants to get off scot free. And she's like, "Why do I have to do community service?" The lessons of her college career have just made her more white and more privileged. They they have not made her in yeah. any way recognize her privilege. And I actually te- texted a friend of mine at the time because her Rory drops literary references all the time in that show, but she never once references Jane Austen in the, in the episodes I saw. So I texted a friend. I'm like, she's not being kept morally accountable. And I think that's why, I think she's never read Austen and that's why. So 
I find her completely inseparable. So whenever (laughs) Alex Vidal's in something, I'm just like, okay. I know. And, you know, every time we do this adaptation that's modern, we have to do like, oh, I love my sister, Georgie. Like, it's like so painted on. It just feels so like an an afterthought. I will say I liked the update of the whole, like, why Wickham is a scoundrel when he's like, oh, no, he ran off. He got her pregnant. Yes. He tried to marry her to get my money, but it's the whole like they ran off and he got her pregnant. I think the that you like the the subtext is she had to have an abortion. Yes, and so it's like the stakes when he's off with Lucky. Like, okay, this is really like as a modern audience reading Pride and Prejudice when he runs off with Lydia, you're like, why is kind of everybody freaking out? We don't have the same kind of cultural language or understanding of what the stakes were. But like, I think as a, with this movie, you understand that it would be ruinous. Yes. For her in that family at that place in time. If something Especially like because she happen. looks so young. I mean, she's so young and, and, thin yeah. and she looks so frail and you're like, Oh my God, what a thing to do. I mean, she's far too young to process that. And yeah, no, I completely agree that the emotional heft of that was huge. You know, did you notice when he when Darcy chases Wickham down to save uh, Lockie and, and the the um, the Indian uh, name they gave the Lydia character, they chase them into a Bollywood uh, movie theater, a movie theater where they're showing a Bollywood movie. And I was like, there has to be some sort of touch point here for Indian audiences like this movie means something. Mm-hmm. So I looked it up and the title is like East Meets West. And I'm like, oh, that's a cute, okay, I see, okay, I see that there. But, um, yeah, it's really violent, and you're like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) They interrupt, like, what is an attempted rape scene, Oh, that's basically, and the hero comes up. But I love, like, they're fist fighting, and it's, like, you know, very classic. They're on the stage in front of the film having their fist fight, and then the girls both come up and slap him. And if I'm just like, if I was in that audience, I'd have just been, like, cheering. Yes. Like, this is the best movie I've ever been to. Where there's like actual fisticuffs and faces getting slapped and it was great. I had to stop the movie and explain to Bay why both of the girls slapped him. I think because he wasn't he was only half paying attention, so he didn't know the characters' names. So when Lalita slaps him, because I mean, you know, justified, he ran off with her little sister. Um, and then he's like, but Lolita, it was not him. Anyone but him. It was always you. And then Lucky's like, excuse me. We were on a date. And she walks up and slaps him. He was like, wait, why is she mad at him? Why is that girl mad at him? And I had yeah, to, like, well, explain the whole movie. <laughs> this is the this is the weakness of having to shove all the Wiccan plot into the last little bit of the movie is that they have him shout out, Lolita, it was always you which has no emotional resonance and you don't believe him at all because at this point he's been not emailing her like he promised and yeah. he's not been in touch with her and yet Lockie's there and so he's running around with her and when he could clearly be dating like it had yeah. it, it felt very gratuitous and unnecessary but maybe that's the drama of like the Bollywood you know like I, well um, I also think it was just emotional manipulation on his right. part we'll say in this version Lalita clearly has stronger feelings for this Wickham character than, say, like, Lizzie in the book ever does. Yes. Like, she's full-on imagining them getting married. She's, like, falling for him for real. So when he leaves and then um, Naveen Andrews, what is his character? Bakshi, when he leaves. Balraj. Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, it's almost like Lalita is the one who's more devastated. 
But maybe just because she's our main character, we focus more on her than Jaya, the sister, the Jane character. But they definitely spend more time on Lalita being really sad and brokenhearted. For sure. And I, I love that the promise was, I'll email you. For like, everybody's waiting for these emails that don't come. Because it, it calls back to like, the globe. Lalita says, it's a global dating service, right? Like, that's yeah. that's how this thing works nowadays. And <laughs> I liked how they go to like the Hotmail, right? Like interface. Yeah. and like. But it was really hard back then if you were traveling. I remember um, when I was traveling in Europe, uh, just in Europe. I mean, it seemed like he was going more exotic places, but you had to find an internet cafe. Like we didn't all have a little computer in our pocket. So to stay in touch with people with email, it was more difficult for sure. But I mean, they clearly showed him he was emailing Lockie. Yes. Instead of her. Like instead it was of her. Very he, she clear. was a much yeah. easier mark for just easy free sex, right? Yeah. Um, I wanted to transition to talking about like everybody's performances so we don't like miss everybody. Um and what I wanted to say was, with with regard to him, don't you? I definitely empathized with the mother, the Mrs. Bennett character, Bakshi, um, not wanting to take this random ass guy into her yeah. house, where she has four unmarried daughters, and he's like some dirty hippie, um, and totally empathized with that. And then later, he's all like in the house with them and getting all cozy and and like getting into their personal their emotions and I don't know. He's so, he's, he's so obviously like fake woke, you know, I don't know. Yeah, He's also very clear. I mean, he's not, I, like I said, as soon as you meet him, you're just like, Oh, this guy's oh, not no, shady. Guy. Um, there's no like kind of not a bait and switch, but there's no like plot twist where he's a bad guy. I feel like it's very clear um, from the get go that he's, and he's like, eh, not okay. Shady. Yeah. But I loved um, so many performances. I thought the mother was great. I love that she got to have this moment in the big first musical number. Yeah. <laughs> where she wants all the attention on her. So she starts singing about and like doing this sexy dance. And then the Mr. Bennett character has to sort of usher her off the stairs. Um, I love that guy. He also played the dad in Bend It Like Beckham, by the way. And oh, I just really he? like whenever I see him in anything, I really, really like him. Anupam Care, I think is his name. I really enjoy him and everything. He's great. If you have you seen Bandit Like Beckham, Kristen? I have. I loved it. Yeah, me too. I really love that movie. Yeah, so so she was great. He was great. They had a good rapport together as Mr. and Mrs. Bennett. And and I loved his dad jokes. I mean, he really does yeah. have a great rapport like Lolita. Can uh, we talk about the best part of this entire movie? Which is the The Cobra Dance? The like the snake charmer dance. Oh my yeah, god. The cobra dance. So Good, such an amazing piece of physical comedy <laughs> by um, that actress who plays. I guess she's like the second youngest. I guess you would say they cut out Mary and put in Kitty. No, so she is supposed to be the Mary she character. Supposed to be Mary? Okay, so she's supposed to be like the Mary, but she does this hilarious dance when everyone is over at the house for dinner one night, and it's so good. It's so funny. It's so good. I can't even. She's. It's just brilliant. They call their her name is Maya Boxy, and she's all about performing for everybody, which is like the Mary, like getting up in front of people and doing like we're doing her terrible singing. Yes. Oh, my God. The Cobra dance. And, you know, it's funny because you're watching it and you're like, this is awesome. And yeah, then, she's actually really good. <laughs> and it's like cutting to everybody's faces and they're horrified, except for the mom who's like totally into it. Right. <laughs> uh but yeah, no, it was amazing. The cost, her costume, her eye makeup, it was so good. Yeah, if you haven't seen this movie, you've got to watch it just for the Cobra dance with nothing else. 
Yeah, and it has the best LOL moment in the whole movie where she dramatically stops and the music cuts out. And everyone's like, oh, and they start clapping and then boom, the movie starts again. <laughs> she like jumps up and starts doing it again. And it's so funny. It's so good. That girl is an MVP. Well, that's the scene too after that's over. Because that's the Netherfield ball where everybody just embarrasses themselves to the absolute hilt. It's where the, they're all sitting around the coffee table and the Mrs. Bennett character is saying, oh, Balaraj, you and Jaya will be so happy and you'll have no complaints on your wedding night. I mean, it is just the most brash insinuation yeah. of you're going to marry my daughter and we all think so. And it's a done deal. And by the way, I'm going to talk about your sex life. And it is yeah. so <laughs> cringy. Um, like, how could she be so invested in getting her daughters married and then play show her hand in this way of course it drove them away um but somehow it worked with the character like you could totally believe her saying that <laughs> i think i don't know i guess i felt like they kind of downplayed the like this family is super embarrassing angle a bit in this one but the stuff they had was really fun i don't know i just really enjoy this movie i remember i really enjoyed it in the theater i just had i've always had a great time when i watch this movie to be honest sometimes i will fast forward through some of the musical numbers oh no um, yeah but that's just me I'm just oh, impatient. I, um, you know, and I, I will say too, we can't, we can't forget to say that, you know, like Pride and Prejudice works well when it's modernized into a society where you understand the push to get married. Yes. To a rich guy. And um, one of the other things Gurinder has said in interviews is, you know, there is actually quite a strong correlation between what Indian mothers and, in, you know, in this particular situation would want, right? Yeah, so that's just another way that Pride and Prejudice, you know, has resonance even today in certain societies. I mean, every mother wants to get her daughter married off, right? Right. Um, I think that 100% the, you know, I was saying this is more like inspired by rather than an adaptation, but 100% the themes of Pride and Prejudice absolutely translate to this story. And everyone can, again, like you can read Jane Austen and not not be from 17th, 18th century. Sorry, you can't from like the 1800 time period in England and you still get it. And this is a perfect example of that. Like we all understand. And probably people in India understand even more. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Uh, Like everyone gets the stakes here and we understand like the type of culture and what the importance of what's going on is. I feel like I didn't express that well. <laughs> oh, I, I, I think you know what I'm getting yeah. at. Yeah, it just sure. it works. It all works. And yeah, I thought the the Mary and Lydia characters were totally great. They were great dancers. They had great energy. They were very funny. All the comedy beats worked really well in this movie for me. Yeah, and you know we were talking about how the earwormy no life without wife, which is what the one of the things that Mr. Collins character busts out with. And so the daughters all have this really cute song and dance about it. But again, like while I I may not think the song is like the the best song in the world, those sisters are really close and they love each other. And you yeah. definitely get that. They all tease each other. They're just really close. And I think that's important, you know, the importance of the family in this story. Yes. And they all do care about each other. Yes. And I think well, they actually and care about each other more than in the novel. Yes, for sure. For sure. For sure. And, and that's what, what goes back to, I mean, they build this great relationships and then you're thinking, why would you want to marry away from this? And I, I have to admit, I felt that I lacked some of the cultural context and understanding for some of the lines and some of the things that were being said here. 
because I didn't know, as I said before, what does it mean to marry into the UK? Do some people think of that as, I don't know, they were imperialists, right? And no, nothing will ever make it right. And the implications will always be felt. And, you know, do you, is there, is there any weirdness around that? And then him being an American, Lolita and Darcy, Darcy being an American, Lolita and Darcy have this exchange where she's, again, where they're talking about the hotel in Goa. And she says, I thought we got rid of imperialists like you. And he goes, well, I'm American. And she goes, exactly. And, and so like, it's just Ooh, burn. Yeah, pointing <laughs> to America, you know, obviously um, has its own imperialist or colonial. Yeah, uh, manifest history. destiny. Like, yeah, hello. All, <laughs> like, all, and this, this is the thing, too, that that was a slam. Like you were saying, it really challenges you and makes you question all of your, makes you question yourself and makes you snap to attention and think, I have to inter- I have to interrogate myself with this as well, but I get really complacent sometimes thinking with India, thinking, you know, we did so much shit as a nation, just identifying myself with being an American, right? India was not our bad, like you know, like that. That's was- not that's on the that's on Britain, that's y'all. That is not it. no, yeah, <laughs> like. But, but I mean, the po- I mean, American that, capitalists haven't come in. And yeah, exactly. Like we may not have been the we didn't start the fire, but like we're the <laughs> fucking carpetbaggers. Right. So I don't know. We've been watching a lot of we're doing a West Wing rewatch right now, which is like really good for my mental state. But there's um, and there was recently a scene, you know, the HBO Max had that reunion special where they talk about. Um, and, and he's like India versus China. And, and the president asks one of the characters, you know, well, if you were going to invest, where would it be? And he's like, oh, India, like English speaking democracy, booming economy, like India and Africa are the future. And she says, too, you know, it's only been how many years since independence? Like, where was America at this point? Oh, fighting a civil war over yep. slavery. Yep. Like, I'm sorry that everything isn't as perfect in India as it is in the United States right now. But we're a much younger country in terms of like their independence. So I think there's a lot of really interesting conversations between Lolita and Darcy in this movie that are just for that. It's worth watching. (laughs) Govinder Chada, right. Also was interviewed. uh, Another interview I read from her, somebody said, you know, you do all these movies that are fun and light, but there's always a bit of a sting or like a, a little bit of anger underneath them that comes out in some of the dialogue and she validated the interview and she's like, you're absolutely right. I do hope to challenge people a little bit. Like with that conversation, this this movie is set, sets out to skewer not only American attitudes and like, you know, tourist attitudes towards India, but also, um, you know, the way that you can get detached. Everybody's got a different angle on the, you know, the money aspect and moving to America. And even Coley Saab says the girls over there have totally lost their roots. And then yeah. he has the best line. He's like, some of them have even become the lesbians. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. She's picking out yeah, a lot. Of, she's she's poking out a lot of, of um, sore spots. I feel like in this movie and making you stop and think, Oh, like, Oh, I can see why this would be a bone of contention. Right. But if you don't think people feel that way, I mean, not not you as in you, Kristen, but like if people don't think that that informs so many decisions that people 
in India are feeling and thinking when they're dealing with Westerners or like uh, people who are, you know, immigrants in the United States or in the UK, like you are deluding yourselves. Like I would be angry every, I'm angry about stuff now and I'm a white woman. <laughs> I know, right? I can imagine. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. And Bend It Like Beckham, I think what you're talking about is the father doesn't want her to play uh, football slash soccer because when he came He's a Sikh and they were, they were, I don't want to say they were mean to him, but like, we're talking about like abusive when he tried to join like the local cricket club, but like horribly abusive. And he's like, they want, I don't want you to go through that. And so it's like that kind of the resentment and anger is always there, which is completely understandable. Right. And I like that it's mentioned. I mean, that's, that's the tension between Darcy and Lolita in this movie. It's great. Yeah, they could have done a thing where they had they had a Indian Darcy. They could have just set this in India, and um, you know, obviously that wasn't the point. The point was to merge Hollywood and Bollywood together. So yeah, well, they the had point to do was this sort of cross cultural American dollars, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, I did a lot of. This is the I shouldn't bring this up. They always say like historical fiction novelists do like a ton of research, and only one percent ever goes into their books. And don't do a research dump on your listeners. I was just going to say, like, Maggie and I were talking earlier today, and Kristen and I were talking the entire history of India now. Well, I was trying to understand, you know, where these places are. I was trying to understand Goa versus Amritsar, because when, at first she says, you think this is India, I thought she was slamming Goa as, like, not real India. And then I understood she was meaning Oh, she meant the, the resort, resort. Yeah. Yes, she just meant the resort. But anyway, I was trying to understand that at first. And so I went and read all about Goa and found out that it was a Portuguese colony until 1961. Yeah, it was ruled that, by crazy. Portugal. And Kevin and I were talking about, like, we have no... Our world history just did not focus on all of these things going on with India. And I, I feel like when we get world history as Americans, it, everything's with the slant to what does this mean to America's foreign policy, right? Yeah. Um, and so... But yeah, there's fascinating stuff to to know. Amritsar is a real place. The Golden Temple is real. It's actually the capital of Sikhism. Um, and you can go and read about their struggle and everything in Punjab. And it's fascinating. So yeah, watch this movie and then take a look into the places that they're talking about. And you really, um, it's like you learn a lot. So I have a, so I have a tangent, which is not really related. So if you want to cut it out, but uh, I have a Netflix recommendation. There's a show on Netflix called Rise of Empires, the Ottomans that Bay and I watched. And it's sort of like his historical documentary meets Game of Thrones because they have the hit the historians being interviewed, but then they interject actual dramatic scenes and battle scenes and, and like there are actors and things like that, uh, but it has a huge budget, but it is all about the Turkish Empire's siege of Constantinople in the 1400s. And it's like our minds were blown because never cover this part of history. Like we all know about like the division of the Roman Empire, but we don't think about like Rome, the Roman Empire being around that late, right? Yeah. Um, And we don't know who, um, maybe if you studied it, great for you, but like what average American knows anything about the fall when Constantinople actually became Istanbul other than the song or about the Turkish and the Ottoman Turkish empire. And it's just this incredibly rich history and we didn't know any of it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just like huge empires that I had other than my like crusades class 
or my like Roman history classes from years and years and years ago had no idea of what was happening. And this movie, while also like featuring a bunch of white people and clearly being made in cooperation with Miramax, like you're saying, it's just the very tip of the iceberg of an entire history that we as Americans would not be aware of. Well, exactly. And I think it's important to to note for people who don't remember, you were a history major. Um, oh, yeah. So for this to be major. like, what's that? I was a history major. Yeah, yeah well, I was a history major. <laughs> but like, yeah, even in even in your, your undergraduate studies, this wasn't something that you dwelled on. I did not know. I Let's see. I guess I knew everything I know about India I learned in my like comparative government class. We studied India's modern government. I mean, if you're going to study something's modern government, then obviously you have to cover some of the history, but it was just like bare minimum. Or also I try to like not just do a Western film experience. So I've seen, um, like I'd seen Monsoon Wedding. There's a very famous trilogy of Indian films about the partition with Pakistan that happened. I've seen those. So like I have, but again, tip of the iceberg, I do not consider myself an expert on Indian history at all, but there's just so much out there to learn and we don't know any of it. It's very eye opening. But again, this movie challenging uh, your expectations and what you think you know of the world. So great all around thumbs up for fun. Thumbs up for, you know, that challenge thumbs up for performances. And is there anybody else's performance we've got to talk about or should we, Head on over to the week. We got most of the people. I would say, yeah, a thumbs up for, I would definitely recommend this movie. Like you said, it suffers structurally. The, the end is a little rushed and things start to drag a little around the middle, I think, when they're traveling. Um, so it's not like a perfect film, but it's just really fun. Yeah, it it's doesn't really need good. to be a perfect <laughs> film to be a good time, right? Yeah, I really enjoy it. I really enjoy it. So I'm really glad that we watched it and got to talk about it. Yeah, me too. Cool. Another one in the can. I feel like we need some kind of sound effect, like, pew. <laughs> 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 we did it. <laughs> and now let's go down the lane to the wheat sheaf. To yeah, the wheat sheaf. We do. want to thank so much a, a couple of people who um, contacted us, including our new fan, Daisy, who would love to hear our opinions on Austin Land, which is something have I we, definitely have we not think. done an episode of that. No, we have not done Austin Land. Oh, we need to do that. Kristen and I saw that in the theater together back in the day. And that's still the only time I've seen it since then. Really? really Oh, I own it. I watch it all the time. It's been on, uh, what is it, HBO or Stars? Those are the ones I have. It's been on there recently, so I've been watching it again. Okay, we had, oh, we had a message from Rachel who found our podcast. Um, She lives in Canada. Welcome, Rachel. We love our Canadian listeners. And she was talking to us about the Brontes and uh, how long she's been. Austin's been a big part of her theatrical life um, and just gave us a shout out about how much she was enjoying the podcast, which we are always happy to hear from people. Thank you so much. Um, and we also had a message from our listener, Alicia, who sent us an article in uh, from the Smithsonian Magazine about a new edition of Pride and Prejudice. I am so excited about this new edition of Pride and Prejudice because it has the letters and someone has written the letters in handwriting. And so they're like reproduced as images. And so I can't wait to feel how that feels to read them that way. 
What is Lizzie's handwriting? Oh, it's like in the Babysitter's Club book where when they would do journal entries or letters and each one of them had different handwriting. Yeah. And it told you a lot about their character. So you feel like you're reading it as though it came from that character's hand. Yeah. And I just, I think that will change the emotional impact of the letters and I really, really want to experience this. That was very cool. So uh, yes, thank you for telling us about that. And we are really interested in it. I hope I get it for Christmas. Yes. So please don't hesitate to send us messages. We get all the time. People say, I've been, you know, I didn't know if I should say hi. It's like, just say hi, especially right now when things are kind of dark and we're all still dealing with COVID. Like, don't hesitate to reach out and say hi. Um, And I personally want to thank everyone for bearing with us. We've had two kind of close together um, hiatuses recently. One, because I was so sick from being pregnant. And two, because we're coming up to the uh, United States presidential election. And Kristen, bless her heart, donated a lot of her time to getting out the vote and working on efforts with that. And so we just really appreciate your patience with us this year. I know it's been a tough year for everybody in the world, literally. (laughs) Yes, it has. So thank you again for your patience. Okay, what else do you want to talk about? Uh, let's talk about, well, what are we going to do next, Kristen? What do you want to oh, talk well, about? What? Because it will be December. This, this is November 1st, so we're recording this. So the next one we'll record will be, you know, a couple weeks, maybe early December. We could do Bridget Jones' Diary, which is a oh, Christmas movie. Oh, that's very tangentially related yeah. to <laughs> Jane Austen, though. We could but do, um, it is fun. It is fun. It's, so I right. like porn because it's fun, and we could have fun talking about it. I think that, you know, you're right. We should, because everybody talks about Bridget Jones' diary when they talk about modern Austen adaptations these days. Also, any excuse to look at Colin Firth. Any excuse to watch that movie again. It's one of my favorite movies. I've probably seen it 25 times. Aw, you're adorable. Um, I do also eventually want to get to Pride and Prejudice and Popcorn, though. I would love to read that. We have to do Austin Land. We have to do yes. the Sense and Sensibility multi-episode Andrew Davies adaptation because we've never done that. Yes. We've also at some never point, done... we should talk about an actual novel again. <laughs> Probably at some point. Yeah. So Pride, Prejudice and Popcorn, we have to do Camp Austin. I have an edit. I have a book called A Fine Brush on Ivory. And we could also do, um, which was recommended to me, which sounds fascinating. I forget the author's name, but we could also do like Jane Austen, Life and Small Things. There are so many books Hmm. we could read. Yeah. And to give uh, you guys a, a peek behind the curtain in January, Kristen sends me an email with like, here's the list of all the topics that I'd like to talk about this year, you know, one, basically one a month, let me know what you think about the order. If you're okay with these, if you want to change anything. And then basically by February, that has been completely, completely out up. the window. <laughs> totally, totally out the window. Completely. <laughs> so I think like, what? that's just because 2020 was like that for everyone, but it is incredibly surprising how quickly off the rails <laughs> the plan went this year. Is it is it incredibly surprising? I was very surprised. It just makes me laugh. I don't know. I'm sorry. I know I'm sure that you worked really hard on yes. doing that and then I just felt so bad cuz it just immediately got derailed. 
it, I mean, it definitely immediately, I'm sure there were reasons. I mean, sometimes you just don't want to engage with like challenging material. And then we did, I think we were like on a kick of Pride and Prejudice adaptations. And so we just, you know, but the thing is, the only reason I did this was I didn't want us to be sitting around being like, what should we do next? I don't yeah, know. What do you want to do? Also, I don't know. Like, what do you want to do? Authors reach out and are like, I'd love to talk to you. Or yeah. a listener will be like, hey, what about this? And so things, new things come in like, oh, yeah, we definitely need to do that. Yes. So it's not always just because like our lives explode. It's just that people have really interesting, cool things that we hadn't thought about. Right. Right. And and we do have authors reach out all the time. And I just I just if we were if we were more frequent podcasters, we would totally do something with more people. But just because we're so infrequent, we just don't have the volume to do like every everybody who re- reaches out to us. But we like certainly wish them the best. It's not like we're like too good for you or anything or like it's just that we just don't have our shit together with. Well, personally, I don't want to be a corporate chill. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's I when I was t- I expressing this to you earlier, like the author, the one author interview we did with Natalie Jenner, it's she's a traditionally published author. And I actually felt kind of bad about that because we have a lot of indie and self-published yeah. authors come reach out. And I don't want to say that I value traditional publishing more than indie publishing. It was more that the premise of her book was exactly what this podcast was about. And so I was like, yeah. I was just really intrigued for that reason. It was but not, yeah. a, it was not a diss on anyone no, it was else. Not, it was not yeah. like saying like, you know, like at a certain point we just, ha- there's just too much to do. But um, in fact, uh, Laurel Ann suggested that we do like an indie, uh, a ja- indie Jeff authors uh, panel at some point, which I would Ooh. love to do that. Yeah, that would be really fun. Okay, Kristen, put it on the 2021. Okay. And we'll see how long it <laughs> And it will never happen. No, if I put yeah. it on the 2021 calendar, it'll never happen. <laughs> we will probably have to go on another hiatus around like March time because I'll have some stuff going on in my life, mainly the arrival of our soon-to-be co-host. That's right. So we got to get yes. <laughs> yes, we got to do the hard ones. I think that's an argument for doing the hard ones, meaning the ones that will t- require a time investment probably get those out of the way um so we probably do have to do that sense and sensibility mini series although what am i gonna watch at like two in the morning That's during those late night meetings we'll figure know. it out maybe oh, i mean you might get to the point in your life where you can't do the podcast for a little while Never, and that's totally okay i mean that's Never. totally okay and you know the podcast is about joy and fun. It's not about hard work and pushing things out of our life in order to yeah, attend to it. I don't really do a lot of hard work for the podcast. You do all the hard work, so <laughs> I will be good to go. I don't. How dare you already be trying to replace me? No, I'm not. Well, you. <laughs> I was glad that you asked for the hiatus when you were so ill, and I then I felt kind of silly in retrospect. I was telling Kevin, I was like couple of those Sense and Sensibility episodes that we did when I first moved to Boise, I was like really dragging. Like I was, I was like depressed. I was like not doing well. And I was like, maybe, you know, like I didn't realize I could say that I wanted to go on hiatus. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like pushing through. I hope those episodes are okay. I haven't listened to them again, but I'm maybe sorry if they were like Sensibility again. That's what I'm getting from. The- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I think that especially this year, there's so many things that you can't ask for a hiatus for that yes. Yes. 
people are very understanding when there are things that you can and you should not hesitate to do so when you need it. And maybe that's a piece of wisdom I can impart to our listeners. As I've gotten older, I have learned the value of saying no. Um, I've always considered myself like a big overachiever, very energetic. I try to do everything for everyone all the time. I feel guilty if people ask me to do something and I can't do it. But as I've gotten older, I've realized that sometimes you just need to be like, I don't have the emotional bandwidth or the physical bandwidth to handle that. And that's okay. And all of our listeners are wonderful and they understand and we love them for it. Yes, we really do appreciate you. Thank you. And on that note, Kristen, we have delighted you long enough. Bye. Bye.